Hello, it's your friendly neighborhood host, J.T. Wheatley, back for another episode of the History of Commerce podcast, and this time with part two of the uh, weird and wonderful art of Basil Wolverton. When we last left off, Wolverton was struggling to make his place in the uh, comic strip and comic book world, but his art was, quite frankly, a little too weird for everybody. However, he would finally find an opportunity to do a different comic strip, but he had a little work to get there before he could. On February 9th, Pacific Radio's uh, Trevor Evans invited Wolverton to pitch ideas to NBC's Blue United, and he would later receive a $500 payment from Timely. All the while, Wolverton kept up his page-a-day pace, though Wolverton was one of the few artists who not only penciled, but scripted, inked, and lettered his pages. On April 30th, Al Fagles uh, wrote to uh, Wolverton that his and uh, Harry Shorten's single-panel gag strip, There Ought to Be a Law, was accepted by the McClure Syndicate. It was a life-changing event for Fagley, as uh, the strip lasted for 40 years to 1984. Inspired by Fagley's uh, new success, Wolverton created Hap Yap Trap, a strip about a rash and rowdy radio announcer, completing six dailies before sending them to Liv Gleason and later Bell Syndicate. He would later create a single-panel strip, Numbskulls in the News, sending four installments to the Saturday Morning News and the Week magazine. He also pitched the Quality Comics and MLJ Fantastic Foolishness for Fantastic Adventures magazine. Wolverton also started to work on radio scripts again. However, Wolverton still needed money to make ends meet, so he went to work as a laborer, doing everything from baling hay, driving a tractor, and working in the farm's cold storage unit. During all this, he was able to sell Culture Corner to Fawcett Comics. He also created yet another strip with Clamp Van Camp and the Magic Lamp, which came at a nice time as he received a request for 41 pages of the cartoons, thus ending, as he called it, his 31 days of working out. It wasn't without complications as Wolverton became confused by some of Fawcett's early instructions, believing they wanted him to make the strip Clamp Van Camp and the Magic Lamp less humorous, which he objected to despite having done some serious comics in the past. However, Wolverton later learned they wanted the mechanics of the lamp changed along with a new title which became Mystic Mort and the Magic Snoot. Meanwhile, Timely's editor Stanley agreed to eight pages of Powerhouse Pepper at a monthly rate of $25 a page. It helped that uh, Wolverton was uh, getting more work offers as the war paper rationing was set to end that December, thus comic books would expand back to 64 pages and thus needed more content to fill them. Wolverton also started to enter drawing contests for the money and would surprisingly lead to the great successes of his career. While doing that, Wolverton delivered a fifth Mystic Mort to Fawcett Comics, this time in person when he visited New York City again. It should be noted that Wolverton was one of the few artists at the time he was handling everything on the comic book page, from scripting to penciling to lettering, though his page rate didn't always reflect that. Melbourne did up his uh, page rate at the time to $30, and he would eventually make $798 that year at $38 a page rate. Wolverton tried to make the rounds of the city and while there, but returned home on February 22nd. Wolverton did manage to earn $862 that month, his best ever, only to be followed by an even better month of $1,507 in March. With such income, Wolverton invested $440 into a Bolex camera, along with a vacuum cleaner and pressure cooker for his wife, Honor, for their July anniversary. The Bolex was the start of Wolverton's attempt to enter commercial film production, and he would test it on films with his dog Zipper's new puppies and some family and family friend films. Unfortunately, he would lose his timely contract as the company's owner, Martin Goodman, wanted to move away from cartoon stories on 
August 29th, leading to Comics Corners being canceled. Stanley would personally write the Wolverton, stating he found his work highly satisfactory, but Goodman wouldn't want to move away to more simple, less stylized art. Wolverton continued to produce, next making a Hothead Hotel, a 10-page strip, but Stanley only wrote back stating that Timely had no more work for him. Thankfully, it would be a contest with one of the world's most popular comic strips that would, make, would finally make his name. In one of the most popular strips of all time, Little Abner, its creator Al Cap had created a running gag of Lena the Hyena, the ugliest person in the world, but always found ways to avoid showing her face. Cap created the character as a jab to the Dick Tracy's cartoonist Chester Gould, who frequently featured the criminals in this strip depicted with catchy nicknames and grotesque features. At one point, Cap teased he was going to finally show Lena's face in the strip on June 13, 1946, only for it to be blurbed out with a cart caption stating, The syndicate chooses to hide her looks for the safety of its readers. Cap immediately went on to uh, the next storyline, but readers were so outraged by the trick, Cap pulled, they began a letter-writing campaign for Lena's face to finally be revealed. Realizing the opportunity, Al Cap and his syndicate, United Features, decided to put on a contest where the artist could enter for the best version of the Lena Hyena looks like, announcing it to appear on the September 23rd strip, which would include Cap using artist's work for his little Abner strip, along with a $500 cash prize. Wurden then learned about it when he read it in an edition of the uh, Oregonian, and immediately entered, as he became a veteran of drawing contests at this point. Wolverton won on October 1st, receiving the national recognition and the cash prize, which was decided by celebrity judges Frank Sinatra, Salvador Dali, and uh, Boris Koloff. Wolverton also won a $25 second prize in a local contest. The feature with Wolverton's take on Lena's face appeared on October 21st in 381 papers. United Future Syndicate would own the image, but did allow Wolverton to copy these to provide for autographs to fans. This would mark the most successful part of Basil Wolfton's career, with some immediate results being timely comics suddenly wanting more powerhouse Pepper strips after dropping it just a few years this earlier that year. Wolfton also made the round with public appearances. With this new success, he tried a new strip, Gus Spy, Private Eye, which was the send-off to Radio Detective Stories. Plus, with new demand as an artist in general, Wolverton ended up earning $7,657 that year, three times his previous $2,367 the year before, though the large increase led to, of course, a much larger income tax bill, something Wolverton fretted over. He would return to New York in 1947 to pitch more cartoons for three weeks and later did a feature for Life magazine on May 5th with his caricature of John L. Lewis, which received a double-page spread. This will be followed by more caricature work of in Life and Pageant magazines. On April 30th, his radio biography aired on NW Network, and he would later add the catchphrase, originator of spaghetti and meatball caricatures and comic strips, which he added to the bottom of his stationery from the Life magazine article. This led to more work at Timely and Powerhouse Pepper, while also providing ads to KGW with broadcasting. Wolverton also got to finally meet his fellow Northwest native legendary voice actor Mel Blanc. Sadly, this new success was tempered by the death of his mother-in-law, Laura Lovett, who passed away on May 7th that year. Returning home, Wolverton invested $40 in a plot of land in Wind River's section of the Columbia National Forest. Then on August 22nd, Wolverton returned to Hollywood. One of Wolverton's characters would later make an appearance in Stan Lee's Secrets Behind the Comics, a 100-page paperback based on an article Lee had written by Writer's Digest, 
which gave insight on the making of comic books. The picture was accompanied by one of Wolverton's powerhouse pepper strips. Wolverton also started selling characters to features like Broadcast Magazine and Hancock Oil and later learned his family was one of the noble descent. Best of all, Powerhouse Pepper was made into a full comic, which came at a perfect time as his wife, Honor, discovered she was pregnant on February 5th. However, Timely would end Powerhouse Pepper due to lack of sales. Of note, Timely frequently had Wolverton's female figures redrawn by a staff artist to make them more attractive. Thankfully, it did result in a $3,000 payday from Timely in 1948. Wolverton later tried Portraits, a new take on Fantastic Faces, his previous character series. He, went, he sent samples of portraits to Saturday Evening Post in 1948, only for it to be immediately sent back. It was then that Wolverton remembered he first sent Fantastic Faces to the Post back in 1946, forgetting his years of submitting numerous comics over the years. Soon, Culture Corner was his only selling feature as the success of his Lena the Hyena sketch had finally dried out. Honor and Basil's son, Monty, was born on the 25th of September, with Wolverton making the announcement of personalized cards. Honor would stay in the hospital for 11 days as a precaution, as she was 42 when she had her first and only child. Wolverton would provide the foreword to Al Cap's defense of comics, which was an attempt to blunt early attacks on the morality of comic books. Meanwhile, he also tried making his own movies in 1949, having previously inquired to Hollywood's uh, Libra film distributors on the cost of distribution. He produced a short film which began with Panic and Pictures proudly presents in Nuts and Nourishment, starring himself and his neighbors, Mrs. and Mrs. Uh, Gleefy Soli, in which they hilariously fail to do household chores and make a lunch. From January 17th to the 20th, Wolverton shot 300 feet of film, amounting to 12 minutes of footage, but would later consider it just a hobby, especially when he learned how expensive film equipment really was. Unfortunately, Wolverton's revision of a defensive comics would be rejected by Ziff Davis. Undeterred, he mailed a Shape of Things in late February for Life Magazine's Speaking of Pictures, which featured caricatures of whole bodies over just faces. However, the 16 samples he sent would be returned, as there would be several other magazines he submitted to. On March 3rd, Basil Wolverton mailed Liv Gleason an eight-page Western Bing Bang Buster, which replied by uh, asking for three pages of Black Diamond Western comics at $35 a page rate. That June, Wolverton had to take out a $300 loan due to lack of work, as his popularity from winning the Lena Hyena contest in Little Abner had finally dried up, and he once again proposed a new strip with Brief Beef, a single-page strip inspired by There Ought to Be a Law, which dealt with life's many annoyances. Wolverton also took a Barry Baxter from the late uh, Frank Miller, who had passed away. Next, he tried a drama strip, Shock Shannon, about a world that is devastated by atomic war. This wouldn't be enough as he would have to sell his house for $5,700 in 1950. Wolfen also was able to sell Bing Bang Buster for $420, which amounted to his entire freelance income for the first half of 1950, while continuing to do caricatures with Heads You Win, which featured celebrities like Boris Karloff, Joe Lewis, and Joseph Stalin, along with Shape of Things to Come, but these were rejected by Shaman and Schuster. Warverton would later brainstorm an idea for a children's Bible storybook with Herbert Armstrong, who invited him and honor to his uh, vacation homes in Paul Springs in Pasadena. Next, Basil Wolverton tried another strip with Atomic Agent, but by mid-May, Stanley had returned his samples he had sent to Timely. 
However, an old character of Wolverton's reappeared in the spring of 1950 when reprints of Spacehawk appeared in Blue Bolt, number 106-109, though he would be uncredited in the stories. This would inspire Wolverton to try more science fiction stories with Saucer Sid the Supersonic Kid about a pilot, Sid, who sees commercial uses for his flying saucer, such as dropping leaflets or flying banners. He would send it to L.A. Mirror, all while still adjusting his caricatures. Wolverton would next try Jumping Jupiter, which he sent to Fawcett while also working for a local political campaign for treasurer Bob Frink, for which he was paid $10 making campaign ads in the form of dollars with Frink's face on them. Unfortunately, 1950 would be his lowest earning year since 1940 at $1,561, $16,500 in today's value. Wolverton would next try anatomical alterations, later changed to Here's the Answer. Stanley would offer more work as long as it was weird science fiction, which Wolverton was an expert at. He started with stories like The Eye of Doom for Timely, which Wolverton would later consider one of his best stories, and would continue with others like the End of the World and Planet of Terror. Wolverton would ultimately produce 17 horror tales for the various comic books during the 1950s, including one that would offer uh, Daniel Keyes that would earn Wolverton the reputation as the master of creating grotesque features. Other notable s- stories during his run were The Brain Bats of Venus in Mr. Mystery No. 7 and Where Monsters Dwell in The Adventures into Terror No. 7, whose title Marvel later used in the 1970s for its reprint of the series. Unfortunately, he would sell his last cultural corners with number 65 and 66 to Fawcett, ending his last regular comic strip. Still looking for work, Wolverton reached out to the Shea Preston Agency of New York with some samples of his work. He also tried radio again with the KWAN Character Club. However, Wolverton once again had to get outside jobs to make ends meet, just painting and uh, picking raspberries, while Honor once again had to get another job. He continued to try different strips like Traffic Twerps for Colliers and Red Book, but he ended up getting injured during construction work. Of note, Wolverton would do a character as Senator Estes Kefiver, the future head of the Senate Subcommittee of Juvenile Delinquency that would attack comic books for, for a local sign artist. On November the 2nd, Ernest Dever at Skyline Pub- Publications contacted him about Powerhouse Pepper for his Joker comic with a $20 page rate. He would later do stories for real tales of the future, like Escape to Death and Flight to the Future, receiving $85.63 for his various works. Next, he did Robot Woman and the Man Who Never Smiled, getting $140. However, his final story for a four-color comic book would be Swamp Monster, which appeared in SPM's Weird Mysteries, and this was in large part due to his being able to match his current art style to the timely style that was set by Joe Manley. Due to lack of payments and overall work in general, Wolverine had a quick comic book work, but he still wasn't done with comics just yet. With the Comics Code Authority restricting his grotesque style from newsstand comics, Basil Wolverton made his move to Mad Magazine, provided a single panel for issue number 10, along with the Mad Reader is story for issue number 11. He also provided the cover for issue number 11, which featured a, a Lena-like image with the subtitle The Beautiful Girl of the Month Club. Wolverton's contributions to Mad Magazine would only be sporadic, though, appearing in only nine issues over the next two decades. However, he apparently made enough of an impression that no less than the New York Times called him the Michelangelo of Mad Magazine in 2009. Wolverton would also have his art appear on the cover of Mad's sister magazine, Panic, though Al Feldstein, the magazine's editor, reportedly didn't like Wolverton's style. 
Worfenden's art also would appear in Cracked, From Here to Insanity, Cockeyed, and Ballyhoo. In 1968, Basil Worfenden did a series for Topps Cards called the Ugly Poster Series, returning to his trademark twisted headshot. Then in 1973, Wolverine made his return to mainstream comics, doing several covers for Joe Orlando's satirical plop at DC Comics, along with the comics book, the joint production between Marvel and Kitchen Sink Press, which featured two strips by Wolverton, Calvin, and the Weird Creatures. Basil Wolverton, though, would die on December 31, 1978, at the age of 69, survived by his son, Monty Wolverton, who has since become an editorial cartoonist contributing to Mad Magazine himself. And that is a rambling and too brief biography of Basil Wolverton, a truly unique artist who was never able to break through to the mainstream. However, his very uniqueness has led to his cult following to this day, while many of the mainstream artists who got their regular work over him has since long been forgotten. Wolverton is the very definition of a cult artist, not a success at first, but whose art has been rediscovered to this very day. I would like to thank the chief sources for these episodes, Creeping Death from the Neptune, The Life and Comics of Basil Wolverton, Volume 1, 1909-1941, and Brain Bats of Venus, The Life and Times of Basil Wolverton, Volume 2, 1942-1952, both by Greg Sadowski. Must read for any comic book fan. Super Kick Party. It's the wrestling podcast from the host who is the hammer swinging, burrito eating, well, you know the rest of Thunder Talk. Sexy. Four. It's the Ring of Thunder found in the Thunderverse and among the great podcasts of the ESO Network. Now it is April 21st, 2022, time for the favorite comic of the week, Captain America, number zero, by Toshia Oyabushi, Jackson Lansing, and Colin Kelly, with art by Matteo De Lewis. This is a great, uh, well, zero issue in which both uh, the Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson's Captain America team up to take on their perennial villain Zola, who has a crazy plan to turn uh, all of Earth's human beings into dinosaurs, and they have to stop a, stop a flying rocket to do so. Just a great action-packed issue that shows the friendship of, between Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers, how they work together, and how they're both Captain America in different ways, the way they fight and what they believe and so forth. And it's, yeah, great dynamic in, in general. I especially like, like the aside where uh, Captain America goes, there's one thing I hate, it's rockets, which anyone who knows his origin knows uh, that's a pretty significant part in time in his life. And yeah, yeah, just a lot, just a lot of fun drilling. But the real highlight is uh, Matteo De Lewis' gorgeous art, which really invokes Alex Ross's like the gritty realism of it, almost fully realistic in the way it looks and it's colored, and all. Oh, but the action is just spar none. Just a great uh, read from beginning to end, and looks like this is apparently Marvel. It's a zero issue because it's now going to be split off, where we're going to have now a Captain America starring Steve Rogers comic book series, and then we're going to have a Captain America starring Sam Wilson comic book series, which is very interesting. Uh, new twist on it. Instead of having one Captain America, we have two. And hey, they're both great Captain America, so why not? And uh, with that, that concludes my two-part uh, biography on the life of the Basil Wolverton, one of the more interesting uh, artists uh, who's still not quite well known, but still worth uh, checking out. And join me again next week while I'm going to start on a new biography. What, what it's going to be? Well, you have to join me then. But until then, 
Go out and enjoy yourself a good comic book.